0: The following podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only, and is not to be considered as legal advice and does not contain an attorney-client relationship. If you need legal advice, contact a licensed attorney in your state. Enjoy the show. And talk about the law. I'm Kathry, I'm the real person.
1: I'm Stacey Krauss. I'm one of the
2: lawyers. And I'm Courtney Daly. I'm the other lawyer.
0: And today we're talking about a subject that may hit close to home for some of our listeners, so we wanted to start with a quick content warning. Uh, Please be advised that in this week's episode, we will be discussing family and domestic violence. As we talk about the need for reform, there may be graphic discussions of abuse, and some listeners may find today's topic triggering, disturbing, or upsetting, If this episode becomes distressing to you, please feel free to stop listening. Our feelings will not be hurt. Um, However, we feel that the way that family violence is treated by the law is an important subject to know about and spread awareness of. Also, the episode notes will include timestamps of where we discuss certain topics, so you might want to use that to skip past the more explicit parts.
2: We want to start with, if you are a victim of family violence, or if you know someone that is a victim of family violence. We want you to first know where you can go to get help. Um if it's if you're experiencing family violence right now or recently, you know, call 911 if it's an emergency. Um if you need law enforcement or medical care, call 911. If you just want help, the National Domestic Hotline is available for crisis intervention. Uh, referrals to domestic violence shelters and services 24 hours a day and they can be reached at 1-800-799-SAFE that's 1-800-799-7233 if you need legal referrals or information you can contact uh, here in texas you can contact the texas advocacy project family violence legal line at 1-800-374- 4673. Again, that's one 800 374 4673 And
1: then for Bear County specifically, there's some resources from the Bear County Family Justice Center. This is a division of the Bear County District Attorney's Office, but it's in a completely separate building and they deal a lot with um, victims of family violence, and they have a lot of different services available. Not only from the legal perspective, where they can help you get they can help you get protective orders and other kinds of things like that, but they also have other kinds of services like they have potential child care services available to you, counseling services, life skills classes, medical services. you know they do have an after hours emergency call line um, that is manned by the rape crisis center, so there's a lot of uh, of stuff available through the Family Justice center here in Bear County. And their phone number is 210-631-0100. Or if you just want to go on their website, because you can communicate with them through the website as well, or like to see what kind of services the Bear County Family Justice Center has, their website address is bcfjc.org.
2: And there's also, if you just want to know more information of what your options are for different things, there is uh, womenslaw.org. Even if you are not a woman, it's they have some really good information on here. They can tell you um, the different laws uh, by state, and they can also tell you, you know, like things about child child support, custody, um, housing laws, the different crimes, how to sue an abuser. um, Because I know that. In Texas, and I think in several other states, like if you are a victim, you could sue your abuser for things like damages and medical expenses, or lost wages, or employment, or physical or emotional pain and suffering. Um, also, in Texas, I feel like the statute's fairly recent. If um, someone shares an image of you um, that you did not consent to be shared, uh, then you can sue them for court. Court uh, in court for damages as well. And womenslaw.org has all that information available to you.
0: Okay, so we've we've got some good resources for if you're listening to this and you believe that you or someone that you know is experiencing some family violence. um, Why don't we start with, you know, like what is the legal definition of family violence?
1: Uh, So the... The legal definition of family violence can be found in the family code itself. So the the assault code is obviously in the penal code, and the penal code refers to the family code for a lot of the definitions. Just
0: like quick question, just this is probably completely off topic, but codes are are, are okay. they just like <laughs> chapters of the law?
1: Yes, it's, we call it the code, um, the penal code, the family code, but it's just the law as it's you know written down in the state of Texas is contained in codes so the family code you know there's a transportation code it's just it's how it's how we organize the laws in the state of Texas
0: gotcha all right moving on <laughs> <laughs> um and
1: so family violence in the family code has three different definitions and so whatever the incident is it can meet one of these three definitions and that's enough for it to be considered family violence for the purposes of an assault in the state of Texas. Um, And those I'm going to kind of summarize. I'm not really going to read it, but I'm going to summarize. First, it's an act by a member of a family or household against another member of the family or household that is, you know, some kind of assault or physical that can cause physical damage or put somebody in fear of physical damage. So you don't even have to hit them. You can just threaten them, but they're afraid of you. That's considered family violence. And when we say family or household, um, family is... By marriage um, or by blood, those kinds of relationships. Household is if you live together. So this could be roommates. Even roommates fall under family violence and will result in a family violence charge if two roommates are assaulting each other or you know two roommates get into it and one of them gets hurt. Uh, so that's the first one. The second one is abuse. So and this tends to be more in line of child abuse, what you think of as like, what we think of as traditional child abuse, that's, that falls under family violence. Um, And then the third one would be dating violence. So you're not living together, you're not married, um, but you're dating. And where we see a lot, this a lot happens with younger kids in, in high school, you know, they're at school and one of them hits the other one. And now we are dealing with a family violence case because they're, they're dating. Um, so those are the three ways that family violence is defined, you know, in, for the purposes of what family violence is, is in the, in the state of Texas.
2: Also like, you know, foster child or foster parent that falls under family as well, even though yes. they're not blood or married. Right.
0: Okay. This seems like a pretty broad definition of family. It's, it's more like individuals that are close to one another in a measurable way.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think in general, it's kind of like if you have some sort of link to someone um, in a family or in a living situation, you will probably fall under family. Um, just cause like, I mean, like obviously if like you have two friends that maybe not obviously, but if you have two friends that um, live in different areas, and then they fight each other, like that's not going to be considered family violence. But, you know, if those friends live together, then that might be considered family violence, you know, because they're roommates, it's household violence. So it it it's like, even though those two friends are just friends, just the fact that they live together makes it family violence and adds different um, punishments to it.
1: And it, it can get even more nuanced than that. So we can be talking about like ex- Exes as well. Mm -hmm. An ex relationship counts for the purposes of family violence, but also like your ex and another one of your exes getting into it could, depending on what the circumstances of the incident are itself, this one would be very fact specific, could also fall under the dating violence definition because, you know, maybe this assault is only happening because of your relationship with the other person. And if that's the case, then um then they could charge it under under family violence as well so it it can become very broad some things are going to be very fact specific as whether mm-hmm. they fall under family violence but the idea is if you're blood related you're marriage related you're dating um and anything happens because of that relationship or as a result of you being in that relationship it's probably family violence
0: now you say anything happens how how broad is that definition because it seemed from the the summary of the code it sort of seemed like it was focusing on physical violence or the threat of physical violence like does this does this cover mental like a mental or emotional abuse as well
1: no no this this had there has to be some kind of threat of physical violence now Mental or emotional abuse, maybe harassment, maybe stalking, maybe those mm-hmm. um, laws would come into play there. But there mm-hmm. usually has to be some kind of proactive um, threat in in both of those. So that has to be some kind of like they're they're doing something that makes you fear for your life or your your well being for it. In order for it to to rise to the the level of it being a crime. Okay,
0: I'm um, I'm not really surprised, but. Interesting. Um, so it's it's family violence if you cause a person to believe that you were going to injure them or if you injure them. Yes.
2: Yeah, if you do something or you threaten it and they're considered family. Sure. <laughs> that would make you family violence. You gotta, you gotta keep that family. If they have to be considered, fall under that family definition for it to be considered family violence or else it would just be a good old regular assault.
0: <laughs> right. That classic old assault. Okay. So I'm pretty sure I've got a clear idea of what family violence can entail. Um what does the law do with family violence cases that is different from other cases? Like like it's ra- rather than a classic good old assault, you know, how would I be treated differently by the law if it was considered family violence?
2: Well, as like, you know, the beginning of this episode kind of alluded to family violence is a heavier subject in the law than just like a regular assault or, you know, something like that, because there's more to it. Like when someone's when you when someone commits a regular assault, you're not thinking that not usually You're not thinking that that person is going to continue to assault that one person, right? Like usually there's not like what we call the cycle of violence in those relationships in which they are not family or household or, you know, um, in some sort of dating relationship. Um, you know, if you are going to fight your friend, you're probably not friends anymore, and that's the end of it, right? But if you have other feelings, well, I sure hope so. like you know, one, or like
1: a bar fight, you know, where yeah, it's a stranger or, like, or something, exactly like yeah. a bar
2: fight, it's a stranger. Like you're not, we're not worried about um, you continually. I say you is like a general definition, like definitely right. person, you're not. Kathry,
0: I so <laughs> saw that you were accusing me of being a violent person. I was so hurt, Courtney. Yeah, exactly. how could you?
2: But okay, so like you know, like like Stacy said, like we're not worried if um, you get into a fight with a stranger that you're going to keep fighting that stranger. But if you have some sort of relationship other than being strangers in the sense that you live together or you f- used to live together, th- there's something more than just like a friendship. There's are like living together. There's, there's blood, there's love, there's something there that would make you keep going back, keeping, you know, being around that person. And so that's, this is,
1: yeah, we're, we're what the law is trying to deal with are, is actual abusive relationships. And so they do yeah. some things to try and address that. And as a result, when you're charged with family violence, the consequences are more significant than when you're just charged with a regular assault. And because the definition of family is so broad, you know, um, we're not just capturing the abusive relationships. But I do want to spend a moment to talk about what the law, I think, intended to do. Mm -hmm. You know, they intended to address this epidemic of abuse that exists in our country, right? And you hear about it every day on the news. Like, every day, somebody is assaulted or killed by an ex or by their current lover or, you know, crazy, crazy stuff like that all the time. It's really serious. And that person's not going to often seek the help to prevent it from happening again in the future immediately. Um, So we end up with this whole cycle of abuse. And the cycle of abuse came about um, that term, that phrase, the cycle of abuses came out in the late 70s. um, A, 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 psychiatrists came out and started explaining the cycle of abuse. Um, but the cycle of abuse itself is this idea that, you know, initially there's a lot of tension going on. Um, it builds up over time. And then the person lashes out at their loved one and does something that is violent towards them. And then they beg forgiveness and apologize and tell them how much they love them. And then everything is good for a little bit until it starts happening again. And so it's like this, it just, it's like a a circle that just keeps going round and round and round for some of these victims of this abuse, um, because they, I'll change, I promise it'll never happen again. And then it happens again. And then there's remorse on the part of the abuser, um, until it just gets to the point where it ends up actually either hospitalizing somebody or killing somebody, you know? Um, and so the, and those people again are less likely to report the violence. So that there are consequences for the violence um, until it gets to the point where you hear about somebody being murdered by their spouse. Um, and this can be male or female, men can be just as you know likely to be abused as women can be. Um, you know, men are men are victims of the cycle of abuse as well. And that is what I think family violence laws were intended to address is to try and deal with cases where people are in a close knit situation where they're less likely to report it. So if it does get reported and a lot of times it gets reported by family members, neighbors, not by the victim themselves. Right. Um, So it, when it does get reported, they wanted to make it a more significant addressing of the issue to try and stop it from happening. Um, And so that that's kind of where we're at with this whole cycle of abuse situation. It's serious it's terrible. We, you know, we do not, we definitely do not endorse anything like this. We recognize the value of having a law that addresses family violence in the cycle of abuse. Harshly. We see it, you know, we, we know that it's a real problem and we know that the law is trying to deal with it. And so I just wanted to like, say that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's Stacey's own personal disclaimer um, before we get
1: into the next subject of why the law is failing, I wanted to say I understand it
0: right mm-hmm. okay well before before we get to to the the critiquing of the laws, how about let's be a little bit more clear about like what those laws are? Like what are the consequences outlined by the law in family violence cases?
2: So if we're talking. I mean it depends on the crime, right? so if we're talking um terroristic threats sometimes, but usually like an assault, so an assault bodily injury, either married or family or household with those us- not usually always what is stamped on if you are if you plead or if you are found guilty of um assault family violence um like a misdemeanor those would be misdemeanors uh class a what's tacked on is called an affirmative finding of family violence and the way we describe that to clients is it's like the stamp that follows you around for the rest of your life it prevents you from doing certain things like owning guns which in the state of texas is like a big deal and um it could be used against you if, you if you have children or if you one day have children and, you know, you're in a custody battle. It could be used against you in that. Um, and then it could prevent you from getting certain licenses. Um, it could prevent you from getting certain jobs. It, um, there's collateral consequences to that affirmifying of family violence. And, um, I mean, they, like I said, it follows you around for the rest of your life. Um, and while we recognize that in in um, certain cases like that is completely mandatory. like if someone is an abuser and has continued to abuse someone, they should not have access to guns, right? Because if they do escalate, they could use that gun against that person, right? We recognize that. But kind of going along of like why we wanted to have this topic is that, while we do believe that that affirmative finding of family violence is a good thing and it should stay, we think that it should stay only for in the cases in which it is actually warranted. And in specifically talking about those class A misdemeanors, we're not talking serious bodily injury that would increase it to a felony. We're talking, um, I hate to say minor, right, but I mean, like we are talking minor injuries, if any it might be a scratch, it might be a bruise, and I'm not saying that those aren't um those aren't bad, like obviously, if anyone you know harms you in any way, that's not okay, right, but there's a difference between you know like. Punching someone several times in the face, causing a lot of um, bleeding and bruising, than to scratching someone trying to get your phone away, right? And the idea that the consequence of both of those actions is the same just doesn't really make sense to us. Like, there should be something in between that affirmative finding of yeah. family violence and. and- I, I
1: think it's important to also recognize that Class C family violence convictions can carry the same consequences. Yeah. And so a Class C assault is an assault by contact. The person's not even hurt. You just touched them and they didn't want you to touch them. That can carry a lot of the same consequences because um, it will have the family violence tag on it and it, carry, it follows you around forever.
2: And and like I said, like we understand and we recognize that family violence is an issue both in this state, in the country, in the world. We understand that. But we do think that everything should be treated on a case-by-case basis. And do we defend abusers? Yes, we do. Um, We also defend victims. A lot of times, I feel like we're defending a victim. And we treat those cases the same, as we should. We're going to fight the same way, For an abuser that we would for a victim. Do we feel differently about it personally? Yes, of course we do. But, you know, the fight to um, represent them is going to be the same. Now, I say that because it just because someone's arrested for a family violence crime does not mean that they did it. I know that seems kind of like it should be common sense, right? We've, I mean, we've previously talked about the presumption of innocent, right? An arrest does not mean guilt. And victims are often arrested because of a little thing called self defense. (laughs) And unfortunately, if you're really good at defending yourself and they end up with more or more severe injuries than you, it's likely you're going to be the one that is arrested. Now, I say that and I don't want people to think there's like, you know, like still defend yourself as much as you need to. Don't worry about not hitting them as hard as they hit you. You know what I mean? I'm not telling you to like. Right. Defend yourself because you need to. Like if you. Better to defend people don't, and get arrested right. than to, I guess, just take it. Right. No, <laughs> 100%. And you
1: know, in, in Bear County in particular, we can't really speak a lot to other places, but Bear County has spent a lot of focus on family violence because we are one of the cities in this country with the largest incidences of family violence. It is considered to be a really bad problem here in San Antonio. And so the powers that be really spend a lot of energy and money trying to address this issue. So in Bear County officers will arrest someone if they are called out for a family violence call. Right. So if the, if if the person is still at the scene, obviously if they're not still at the scene, they can't arrest them. But if the person that they would arrest is still there, they're going to arrest someone. If two people are having dispute and both of them have injuries and they get a different story from each person, they're going to make a judgment call and they're just going to say, I'm going to arrest this person, but they're going to arrest someone you know, that it could because it happens every single time. If they get called out for domestic violence calls, they're arresting someone. And so you see a lot of over arresting in Bear County, where people are being arrested and charged with something that's not even really a crime. Because two people are going at it, you you're allowed to. In Texas, there's nothing wrong with two people fighting each other mutually. That's perfectly allowed in the state of Texas. And so even as as everyone if everyone
2: consents or everyone right, yeah,
1: it's consent, right? Right, exactly, if it's reasonable. <laughs> you know, if, if you go up to somebody's face and you're yelling at them super, super close, and then you go, like, to li- raise your hand, and then the other person punches you first, that it's reasonable for that person to have thought you were going to hit them, even if you weren't mentally going to hit them, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, so it, it, it's all very fact-specific. But one, officers aren't really trained on the defenses. Like, they've read the penal code. They know what's in there and what it says, but they're not trained to not arrest people. If there's a valid defense, they're not trained on that whatsoever. They're going to arrest someone and let the courts figure out if there's a valid defense. So even if both people are saying, I don't want them arrested, you know, I can understand why they hit me. Um, I, 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 you know, I did something to cause them to hit me. They're still going to arrest someone. Okay. And they're going to arrest the person that they think, is the is the more culpable person. And sometimes that's a person with the fewer injuries. And sometimes that's a person who threw the first punch, even if the person who threw the first punch was justified in doing so. So that's kind of a problem we're having in Bear County. And it's probably a nationwide problem. I can't imagine that many police departments are not doing the same thing. They're, they're probably all doing the same thing. And that is because they're not trained on a lot of this stuff very well. And they're not instructed to not arrest people. They're instructed to arrest people. Um, we're, we're getting people who are arrested for crimes that they're genuinely innocent of.
2: Yeah. And honestly, when you think about it, like, I don't know, or maybe just like me personally, like, do I think it's better to over arrest, over arrest like arrest people that maybe don't need to be arrested than to not arrest people that do need to be arrested. Yeah, I think I think over arresting does protect the victims. But if you're going to over-arrest, then the punishment, if any, in the system needs to allow for those people that didn't need to be arrested to get out of the system quicker than they do now. So like, I think if we're going to continue to, you know, you show up to a domestic violence situation and someone's gonna get arrested. Okay, like, you know, because we recognize the severity of the cycle of violence and the severity of um, family and domestic violence, like that is severe. We do need to protect people from that. But if we're going to arrest people in those situations, We need to have a system in place in which the crimes or the people that um, are truly the victims or had a defense like that, they aren't stuck in the system for two or three years, right? Because these kind of cases, typically, if you're fighting them, they take a while to resolve. And also, um, those people that are arrested, um, they're now subject to that affirmative finding of family violence, and it might not be warranted, right? Maybe something less is warranted. That's why if we're going to over-arrest, we need to have something in place that can filter out those cases or that can handle those cases in a less severe way so we're not, you know charging and convicting victims, um, or people that, uh, you know, were defending themselves or people that, or in instances where like, you know, the crime actually wasn't that bad. And it's not an instance of, you know, a cycle of violence or something like that. Which
1: brings us to the next problem with the system right now. So we have over arresting is the first problem. The second problem is that once, um, in Bear County, I don't want to speak for all counties, but in bear county once the district attorney's office gets a hold of a case they don't let it go it is nearly impossible to convince them to just dismiss a case based on a statement by the complainant which is a victim complainant's another word for victim in bear county based on a statement by the complainant that they they don't want to prosecute and that that the person wasn't responsible um, or based on, you know, the evidence itself from the complaint from the from the defendant that shows that the defendant, you know, has previously called um, or, has, you know, that, that, that the, the, the complainant had been previously arrested for domestic violence, which would, you know, make you believe that the complaint that the defendant is actually the victim. Um, none of those things will convince them to dismiss the cases. It's very frustrating in that once the Bear County District Attorney's Office gets a case from uh, gets a police report they're not going to let go of that case until they're forced to, and they're not forced to until they have to decide whether or not they really want to try the case. And it can take years, years to get a trial right now in the family violence courts. And, and in that time, the person who is charged with that offense may not be able to get a job at all because they have a pending offense. And a lot of employers don't want to hire people with pending offenses because they don't know if that person is going to go to jail or not. So they won't hire people with pending offenses at all. So during that period of time where this case is pending and the person may be a victim in the case or may not be legally responsible for it, they're sitting there fighting the case because that's that's what you have to do. You have to fight the case and may not be able to get a job, may not be able to get housing. You know, It's really affecting a lot of areas of their life. And there's nothing that they can do about it except for wait and continue to fight it because the district attorney's office is not evaluating cases and dismissing cases where they're realizing they're not going to try them.
0: Um, I just wanted to highlight something that you said, Stacy, um, you sort of mentioned briefly, you know, the the district attorney and, you know, being in contact with complainants, the, the alleged victim in the case. And like, I, I think, I think it's important to to say it in plain English like even if the person who is allegedly the victim in the case says that they do not want to proceed the district attorney is able to proceed anyways yes um and i and i think you know returning to the intention of the law the the idea is to help people stuck in that cycle of of abuse you know get out even right. if you know they're they're not mentally in a place to recognize that cycle or break it, um, but what it what it means is that sometimes both sides are, are saying that there isn't a problem, and the law is proceeding anyways.
1: Right, yeah. and I completely understand why why that that would be what the district attorney's office is looking for but they deal with hundreds of these cases at a certain point they have developed an eye for them they know one whether or not they're going to be able to prove it at trial based on what they have and if they cannot prove it at trial they need to dismiss it period
2: yeah and i but i mean i do think we do need to state like you know their purpose is cuz their focus is on um you know the victim and so the reason why they like kathy was saying hold on to cases um Even if the victim is saying, you know, I don't want to proceed, is, you know, because the cycle of violence, like we said, like it gives the Mm -hmm. victim an opportunity to say, No, I told them to drop the charges, they're proceeding anyway, so that victim can get out of that situation without having to take any of the blame for that person actually getting what they deserve. You know? Right. That's their
1: that's and that is what needs to happen in cycle of violence cases. I don't know about you, Courtney, but you and I have read a lot and seen a lot of videos and listened to a lot of statements and everything else. The prosecutors have listened to and read and seen more. They are more educated than we are on it, and we can tell the difference. We can evaluate the cases on a case-by-case basis and figure out if this is really a case that deserves those consequences, if they are guilty of it or not. And if it's a case where they don't deserve the consequences, the case should be dismissed.
2: Yeah. And that's why, but, but I think the, the district, I'm guess I'm playing, I don't know. Devil's advocate. Right? But, you know. <laughs> and that's fine. Your, yeah. Your options are limited in the sense that like they either, if they feel like if they're in the middle, which I think a lot of our cases too are kind of like in the middle, you know, like right. this person, did this happen? Probably. I say probably because I don't know. I wasn't there. But um, did this happen? Probably. But was it super minor? Yeah. And does that deserve that um stamp of Affirmative Family Alliance for a one instance that's probably never going to happen again? No. But where's the in between? You know, they don't have right. it. Now, th- do they have the resources to do something like that? Yeah. I mean, maybe they should make the pre diversion program a little bit more open. And, you know, it, it's hard to speak for the district attorney's office on why they aren't addressing some of these issues that us as defense attorneys feel are there. Because I think in general, in the defense community, like the most of the consensus is that you get a family violence case, you're putting that on the trial docket because that affirmative finding of family violence alone is enough to fight because of the consequence that it like affects the rest of your life and there's no way to get rid of it. Right. And again, do we recognize that some people deserve that? Yeah, probably. But the vast majority of our cases are people that, you know, are, we subject to that over arrest stuff. Right. And there is no in between right now. So that's and and because there's no in between, that's why we are, that's why the, there's such a long line to get a trial. Um, That's why these cases take forever to resolve is because everyone's waiting for a trial and you can't have five trials in one court in one day. You have to have one trial, maybe every, like, I mean, some of the, some of the, I mean, some of the misdemeanor courts that are doing family violence, like uh, when we were, you know, in person and stuff would have maybe two trials a week. Maybe one, depending on how long the trial. Usually are.
1: one, yeah. yeah usually, usually they are only
2: one, able to get one. one. would be lucky. but um, Or like, you know, could you do one in a voir dire? Maybe. Yeah. Um, but the list every day for those courts is like, there's like 50 cases set. Or right. there's something like that. And if you're number... If you're number five, congrats. You have a fighting chance to get a jury. If you're number five. We we were number five a lot
1: and never got a jury.
2: Like, you know, it's
1: just, it's it's a real problem because people who've been on the, the oldest cases or people in jail tend to be your cases that get to go first. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when we have cases that are two to three years old and we're like number five, we're not even the oldest case on the docket. And it seems like every time we would go to docket, there would be another case that was older than ours. That we didn't even know about before, <laughs> like that got put on our docket again. Yeah,
2: and and I and I know that they have recently created a specialty court to try and both address um, people uh, involved in family violence that have also substance abuse issues because a lot of times you know alcohol and drugs can um, they go hand in hand
1: with usually yeah. abusers. Exactly, like there's there's usually both.
2: Yeah. And so they've created a specialty court uh, where someone can um join the program and if they complete it successfully their case gets dismissed. But I guess
1: dismissed in a way it can get expunged, so you can get it completely removed from your record. Sounds great, right?
2: Yeah, it sounds great. Uh, <laughs> it's like a year long and there's like a lot and lot of conditions and stuff, and like if oh, I thought
1: you were going to talk about how basically everyone who would actually benefit from it is not eligible for it. Like the DA's office won't recommend them.
2: Yeah, that's <laughs> the DA's office is only recommending like cases that should kind of just be thrown out anyway. In our experience, the the,
1: the cases- or that are not eligible at all because it yeah. is required to have a substance abuse issue in order yeah. to go into that court. And if yeah. you have a client without a substance abuse issue, and the state's like, "Oh, we'll we recommend it from that court," you're like, "But they don't have a substance abuse issue, so they don't qualify." Yeah. <laughs> so, like, so are you going to recommend them for regular pretrial diversion then? Because that's what you should be doing in those cases, recommending them for regular pretrial diversion. But that is not what is happening.
2: Yeah. And like the court, the specialty court, like the idea of it and the goal of it, I think is great. Like, you know, cause if you want help and you need help, like that's a great place for you. Um, and if you believe in yourself and you can do what is required of you and you can successfully complete it, it's, you know, you're getting the help you need, you're going to be better. And, um, you know, you're going to get that dismissal and that expunction and that's great. But the hesitation, I think, of some people is, you know, those cases that maybe could have just been dismissed and now you're going to have to do a years long program. And if you mess up, then that's yeah. you know, basically. A- and it is
1: a hard program. Like I was reading somewhere there's like three appointments a week they have to make based on counseling and everything else. Like it is oh a pretty God. intensive program. And the cases that I have seen them suggest it for are cases that in no way, shape or form should should proceed. They should be dismissing them.
2: Yeah, but I'm sure that like there are going to be cases in people that do that specialty court that benefit from it. I don't want this to seem like we don't think that, you know, this was a good idea or whatever. I think it's a great idea. I just think that um, it's not solving the pro- the main problem that we're seeing. Like, do we have some people that have substance abuse issues? Like, yeah, we do. But I can't even think of a handful out of like all like 85 something of our family violence cases. You know, I can't think of a handful that had that substance um, abuse issue related to, the crime um, right?
1: or there was like no injury whatsoever. Right. And you're just like, what are you going to prove? Like you have no injury. The person that is, you know, supposedly was, was assaulted is not cooperating with you state because nothing really happened. A lot of times it wasn't even the, the complainant who called the police. It was a neighbor in those cases, you know, who heard them yelling at each other. Um, you know, like you, there's not really a case there. Um, And the state's offering us this really intensive PTD court that on the best of days, most people aren't going to be able to complete. And so why would we ever do that when we know that's the kind of case that gets dismissed if we can ever get to trial? But I think it's important to understand that, like, they're not forced to dismiss a case unless that case is up for trial and the jury is going to come in and make a decision on that case. And at that point, they can't continue the case. They're not going to get a reset from the judge. And they have to say, do I really want to try this case? And if the answer is no, because either they can't prove it or there's some other issue that makes them not want to try the case, they dismiss the case at that point. And that's how you get dismissals. And that is how 95% of family violence cases are working right now. (laughs) And it's gotten even like COVID has just made a complete mess of this because, you know, we had cases, we have cases set on the trial docket from 2017, and we're definitely not getting trials on those until 2021. And so by then, they'll be four years old before we even have a chance at a trial again. But I wanted—I I just wanted to kind of give that structure so that we can understand why the state isn't dismissing until they're forced to and what forces them to dismiss it, is that the case that the state is going to go to trial on that case unless they dismiss it right then, and that's when they dismiss it.
2: I mean... It- yeah, that's the process. Are, have we been able to get dismissals before, like having to force them to like write, you know, juries outside? How have we been able to get dismissals before? Then, yeah, but can I count those on one hand? Yeah, yeah. because uh,
1: <laughs> those are cases that have very unique facts to them that make it very obvious that the cops got it wrong.
2: Yeah, like- and we. There were certain circumstances in which, you know, we had to push it a little harder for it to get dismissed because of other circumstances going on and stuff like that. And I will say, like, in in those instances, like, sometimes, you know, the prosecutors can be reasonable. We've seen them do it and they were reasonable in there. But also, like, you know, they... They took the time to look and see that they couldn't prove those cases, right? Um, I think that's one of the
1: problems is that they don't have the time to look at every single case either because every case is being put on their trial docket.
2: Yeah, that's what I was going to say is that we also have to consider their caseload. Like we're talking about how many cases that we have and how they're all waiting for a trial. Well. A lot of defense attorneys in San Antonio are in the same boat as us, have a lot of family violence cases waiting trial, and then those two prosecutors in that court have all of those cases. Right. Um, So the the 50 cases that are set for trial that day, like those prosecutors, it it just, I mean, do we think that they should have looked at all of those cases? Yeah. Do they get... Paid the man hours, it would require them to do that. No, no, they're, they're state employees. It's not realistic.
1: It's not realistic. They need more. They need more manpower in the family violence units for sure.
2: Yeah, it's just not. I mean, so do we get frustrated when it seems like they, you know, have to read the police report there in front of us? Yeah, but do I get it? Like, you, have, they have fifty cases set that day. They have, but they're know. not
1: accountable to our clients, and we are, and that's where it kind of comes as well. It's like we we have clients who are coming to court every time who may be genuinely innocent of something and they're having to take days off to be able to come to court and they're having all of these other collateral consequences and the state those clients are like and the state can't be bothered to look at my case and, and see that it's a crap case that needs to be dismissed or they're mm-hmm. refusing to dismiss it because they don't have to. That doesn't seem fair to me. And that's the people we're accountable to is our clients. And we are in complete agreement usually with our clients. We understand the situation the state is in. We're not saying we don't,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: it's, it's, it's a, a, we understand it, but it's still not a good excuse because you're dealing with people's lives here.
2: Yeah. I think the hardest thing about these family violence cases is this balance between protecting victims and protecting those accused of crimes. People are obviously going to tend to try and protect the victim. Um, And the reason why we get frustrated um, is because, you know, our job is to protect that person accused of a crime because, like we said, it's, you know, you're you're not necessarily a monster just because you got arrested, right? Like I feel like genuine monsters are not as um, prevalent as people think they are, you know?
1: I would, I would say that very few of our clients and we've had hundreds of them at this point are monsters.
2: Yeah. But I mean, people, you know, people do get those kind of people. Right. And like, we're yeah, not they exist,
1: but that's not the, that's not the norm at all.
2: Yeah. The, and the the thing is though is that the system is set up to punish those people that are quote unquote monsters, right? It's set up for that.
1: Um well and that's and that's where part of the problem is is like the punishment shouldn't become come before the conviction. And in family violence cases, it part of it is, part of it is coming before the conviction.
2: Yeah, and so like the like I was like I was saying like the system is set up to catch those monsters, right? But in the effort to catch those monsters, they're catching victims, they're catching innocent people, um, they're catching um, minors that are so minor, kind of yeah. life, that level of monster and all we're asking for we understand, you know, we understand the need to protect victims, we understand the district attorneys Um they have a, they have a tough job, right? Like where is that balance of protecting the victim and protecting the rights of the accused? Right. Um, And if you protect the victim too hard, like, is that, is that punishing or taking away the rights of the accused? Like we get that they're in a weird balance, right? They have to be cautious and we understand that the only thing we're asking for is a middle ground.
1: And I want to like also kind of, delineate here a little bit between most of what Courtney and I do is uh, misdemeanor family violence work. We take some felony family violence work as well, but most of what we do is misdemeanor family violence work. When a family violence case rises to the level of a felony, it tends to be much more serious. And a lot of the things that we've said are not true about felony. They're not true about the felony courts. You're going to get a trial faster there. So your rights are going to be better protected um, because you're going to be able to you know, have your trial sooner. Um, and the prosecutors in family violence court tend to be Well, they are more experienced. Um, so they, you know, they they dump the cases that they know they can't prove. Um, and they have more time per case, the felony attorneys are not as overwhelmed as the misdemeanor c- courts. So I want to delineate that a lot of what we're saying right now, we're really focused on the misdemeanor courts, because that's most of the cases that we have. Um, I found that my experience on family violence cases in felony court are is, is a different experience. It's better for my client Um, It's worse because if they're charged with a felony, there's usually some pretty significant injuries and some pretty significant evidence that they did it. Usually there are cases where that's not the case, but in the cases where that's not the case, the felony prosecutors dump them. They dismiss them. You don't have to wait till, quote, trial day to get there because the felony prosecutors evaluate their cases because they have the time to evaluate all of their cases on an individual basis because they have fewer cases to deal with in the misdemeanor courts. So the experience in felony is really different than the experience in misdemeanor. And we're really, really focused on the experience of misdemeanor here in this podcast.
0: Okay. So if, if I'm a person listening to this and, and I think we've made it pretty clear that while well intended, the current structure for addressing family violence is, if it is, Changing anything, it, it's also hurting. Um, if I am a person listening to this and I want it to change, what can I do about it?
1: Write to your legislatures and tell them to change it. Like it's broken in misdemeanor land, the family violence laws are broken, just broken. It doesn't work,
2: and we don't want we don't want them to repeal the family right. violence law. We want, like I said, a middle ground. Like it's just. It's doing what it needs to do for those that deserve it. Or is it that well it's
1: it, it is. Like it, it first significant crimes are being punished in a way that's appropriate. Yeah. Um you know, if the state can prove their case against someone and it's it's significant, it's bad injuries, it's it's working.
2: hmm Yeah. But it's also harming those that the facts in question or the case in question doesn't quite rise to that level. Okay. And it is kind of
1: hard with family violence cases because unlike a lot of other cases, usually the only evidence is like words of a person and maybe a minor injury, but a lot of times there's not even like visible injuries. Um, so it's the words of in misdemeanor cases in felony cases, it's a completely different ball of rags. Right. But in misdemeanor cases, you know, it's a, he said, she said, and eat. And a lot of times in family violence cases in misdemeanor land, both people have injuries. Both of them do. It's not just one person with injuries. So, um, so you're kind of having to like go, well, who do I actually believe? And that is a jury that is a question of fact for the jury in a lot of cases. Um, but We the plea bargaining system completely fails in in the misdemeanor family violence cases, right? Like we have this great plea bargaining system where we're able to get rid of cases in a way that like unburdens the system. And that's why we have plea bargaining and it works. And you know, like Courtney and I are never happy when we have to have a plea bargain, but we understand the value of it. And in cases where we do plea bargain our clients, it's because it really is in their best interest to take a plea bargain. In family violence cases, it is never in their best interest to take a plea bargain. And so the, in in the family courts, it's really overburdened because the law is so unforgiving and it doesn't give us a real opportunity to plea bargain. Um, And so it's broken. We need, we need a better way to plea bargain cases because there may be a way to dispose of cases without overburdening the system. But right now the law doesn't allow us to do that.
2: I mean, we, I mean, we need to be careful about saying never sometimes a plea bargain could be the better option, depending on what the what the client's, like, um, goal is. Like, is your goal right. not a conviction? Okay, well, we can negotiate that, right? But when it comes to that affirmative finding of family violence, like, that's true. It's like, not
1: negotiable. All of the judges assess it. So right. I, yeah, like, they all assess it's it.
2: it. It's still a case-by-case basis, and, you know, it's their decision whether they're going to want a plea bargain. But when it comes to... Getting a plea bargain, like they have to be okay with that um, affirmative finding because that's going to be there. It really just comes down to are you afraid to risk it at trial because you don't want a conviction? You know, is, you know, will your job keep you? But if not, if you have a conviction, that kind of thing, like that's when a plea bargain would, I guess, be useful in a family violence. But yeah. And I do want to also point out, like, I know Stacey was talking about felonies too, like, if there is continuous violence or something like that, like there is a crime for that and it's a felony. So if it does become apparent that someone is a um, continuous abuser, they get charged with a different crime, right? Like these little misdemeanors, they're not people that have been multiple times convicted of this misdemeanor. You know, like there are enhancements for that reason.
1: There there are times when we have pled on a family violence case. They're very rare, um, we almost never recommend it. There are times when we recommended it because there was no downside to doing it. Um, but in general, a lot of our clients have no criminal history. They've never been arrested before. This is their first time ever being arrested. Um, and the case is the case is very weak from the state's perspective. So, of course, we're going to be like, try it. Try the case because there's no downside here. Um, and then. We end up three years later going, I'm sorry, I guess there was a downside. You had to wait three years. And that, that should <laughs> not be how the system works. And we have to recognize that family violence cases, unless there is significant injury that nobody would ever like, be in a mutual fight for and get, right? like mm-hmm. And those tend to be your felonies. They're not your misdemeanors. So in most misdemeanor family violence cases, it's very hard for the state to prove their cases. They lose more of those than they win in trial. Um, because it comes down to what he said, she said, a lot of times the the complainant, the victim doesn't testify. The state doesn't have that person's story. The defendant, the only story the jury really hears is the defendant's story. How can they find somebody guilty based on that? They can't. So these are very difficult cases for the state to win anyway. Um, but like what I think would work, and I don't think that I'm going to be listened to on this anytime soon. I have no you know, no illusion, disillusions of, of the fact that I might have any influence at all And the district attorney is going to hear me and go, yeah, we should do this. But what I would like to (laughs) what I would like to see happen is significantly better training for the misdemeanor attorneys that handle family violence cases on prioritizing cases and going, "Okay, here's my 20 that I want to try in the next month. um, And the rest of these I need to dismiss because I'm not going to be able to prove them. And so one, they need time to evaluate the cases. So they probably need more misdemeanor prosecutors. Handling family violence cases because I don't think the two people handling the 500 cases a month that they're supposed to evaluate each is going to work. That's not going to work. You know, (laughs) there's just no, there's not enough time in the day for them to do everything else they're supposed to do and evaluate cases. So they need people like you know just focusing on evaluating and maybe it's a completely different department. You know, where they have a group of people who go through every single misdemeanor case and evaluate it as to whether or not it's actually a triable case. And if it's not a trialable case, you dismiss it. Done. We're done with it. And if it's triable, then it moves on to the trial court attorneys um, who then will, those will be the cases. Those will be the cases. But it shouldn't be, we shouldn't be having um, 150 cases a day being called in court, which happens 150 cases a day being called in court. When you know only one of them can go to trial, that's just insane. That, that, and, and when you're adding, 30, 40 cases a day and only getting rid of one, you can see how it gets out of control very quickly um, because that many people are getting arrested every day in Bear County for family violence, you know, um, maybe not 30, 40, but at least tw- 10 or 20, I would say. Um, and we're only disposing of one through trial. And some people are pleading to cases. There may, there may be legitimate reasons to take a plea um, in a family violence case. You know, if, if, it's broken right now and the district attorney's office can do things to try and alleviate it. The law can do things to try and alleviate it, but it's not working right now.
2: The cases, I agree. Like they do need more manpower. That's one way we could do it. And they do need to evaluate if they need if they're triable or not. But obviously, like sometimes they hold on to those cases where the victim is cooperative and the victim is like you know, does want their day in court, like, yeah, hold on to those cases too, right? Like, that victim needs to be heard if they wish to be heard. Um, so including those in the, I guess that would make it a triable case, right, is if you have your, your victim is willing, willing to testify. Um, I do think, like, I mean, more manpower, like, you know, that's going to cost the county more money, you have to hire more people. Um, I think in the meantime, like, an even quicker solution would be to open back up the PTD more, like, you know, let, let PTD be more about like actually evaluating these cases. Like, are they lesser um, injuries? Are they, you know, is the, is the victim not cooperative? Like taking those into PTD where, um, you know, at least that person, you know, you take a um, family violence I mean, a domestic violence, like abuse kind of course or something like that, like the anger management or whatever. And they do some community service or something like that. And then like, you know, that's the end of it. Like they did something, hopefully they learned something if they needed to learn it. um, And then, you know, that's the end of it rather than like Stacey was saying, waiting three years for your case to be dismissed. Um, well, and
1: on PTD, I've been told by prosecutors that if they can't get a hold of the complainant, they won't let the person into PTD. So when you have an uncooperative complainant, not returning the district attorney's calls, that's a problem. <laughs> you know, they're not going to get into PTD because the complainant is not cooperative, but they also qualify for the PTD because the complaint is not cooperative. It, it's a catch 22 on that. So they yeah. get rejected from PTD because the complainant won't res- return the calls. It's, it's, it's kind of a mess.
2: Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they – I don't know. I feel like if the complainant has stated they aren't – they don't want cooperate, to uh, cooperate, then, like, what's the harm in accepting someone to PTD? You know what I mean? Right. 100
1: percent. Like, that's how we feel. But the district attorney's office, if they don't get the consent of the complainant, they won't let somebody into PTD.
2: Yeah. And, I like, get that, too. You know, like, that's their way of – covering their butt so that victim doesn't something doesn't happen to that victim. And they blame them for letting them off easy. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. Like I, I get it. Like I, I understand why this particular crime, it is slow to care about anyone, but the victim. I get it. Right. Like we should be caring about the victims. Like we said, like, and we do, we do care about them, but there's, there's now injustices happening that need to be addressed as well. And the conversation needs to be happening about how do we both address um, the potential um, complainant or victim in this case, as well as protect this person's rights to, you know, constitutional rights, right to speed trial, right to confrontation. Like how do we protect these rights while also protecting the victim? And there's gotta be some sort of middle ground, like I said, that is, Allows for those cases in which it's not necessarily of violence; it's not a major um, injury or anything like that. It, it and it doesn't deserve the full punishment that the crime entails.
0: So, I'm hearing just a whole, just a whole mess of problems and a whole lot of feelings. And we already have so much audio, so I, I might regret asking this. But do we have any final thoughts? <laughs>
1: Um, my final thought is if, you know, for some reason somebody is listening to this who might be able to do something about it at the district attorney's office, reevaluate how cases are being evaluated. Because right now I have been told by prosecutors that they're not going to dismiss it until they're forced to, even though they know they can't try it. And if that is the opinion of the district attorney's office, that you're going to continue to burden the dockets, burden me, burden my client on a case that you don't plan on trying just because you can. Um, I just, that doesn't feel like justice to me. So I would, I would ask that the district attorney's office reevaluate the way that they're, they're handling family violence cases right now. Um, and, you know, open up the PTD a little bit more you know, minor injuries don't need the com- complainant's consent if they've been very clear about being uncooperative. Um, you know, let, let people and somebody with no history, never been arrested before, let people have a chance at not marring their record for the rest of their life or having to risk trial. Like, give us another option that doesn't involve an affirmative finding of family violence because we that's the only option we have right now besides trial. Um, we need something else. And So that that's my final thought is like beseeching the district attorney's office to do something about the significant problem we have.
0: That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. My thoughts, Courtney. I mean, I
2: agree with what Stacy said and I do just want to reiterate, you know, that we, we do care about victims. We do care about what happens to people. And when we say like, Oh, it's just a minor injury. We're not saying like, Oh, you just got slapped. Like who cares? You know what I mean? Like obviously that's still abuse. Right. But we're not saying that, like, that person doesn't deserve to, you know, take a class and do some community service hours to, like, you know, not or to, like, learn their lesson. Like, there's there's different levels of punishment and there's different levels of facts in a case, right? And we just want to make sure that the facts fit the punishment. Um, you know, someone, you know, someone pushing someone away from them And getting arrested for that does not deserve an affirmative finding of family family violence, right? And there's cases that are like that. And so we're just asking that when we continue to push for um, protection of these victims, just to keep the rights of the accused. um, And I hate, I mean, I I don't hate saying victim, but like the person, the complainant, the complaining witness, when, when, Keeping in mind, like, their potential needs um, for help, but also recognizing the rights of the accused and the potential help that the accused might need, too, because like we said in the beginning, we also represent victims a lot, too. So it's just like having the punishment fit the crime when there's such a broad spectrum of the types of cases in these Class A misdemeanor family violence cases there's a, there's a very large, large spectrum from like not even like from victims being, um you know, defending themselves all the way to, you know, like true abusers. Right. Like and in, in between doing like, you know, little minor injuries or no but injuries all punished the same way. Like that doesn't seem right. You know, there needs to be. Again, I just keep seeing middle ground, but that's what I think. And I, in it, it, we it need is, more options. Is, yes. Yeah, we need yeah. more options. Because, like, like we said, like, there, we can't even do proper plea bargains because you can't, there's going to be that affirmative finding of family violence. And it's like, even if we could work an, out a deal for a minor case, we have to fight it because that stamp is just, it's it, too damaging. Uh, yeah. And again, some people do deserve it, you know, but not everyone. It's it's case by case. And, you know, we when wanting to do this episode, it's, you know, we've we've tried our best to tiptoe as best we can. And I hope that us explaining the issues that the justiceism is justice system is having um, handling these cases. I hope in our attempt to do that, we haven't made anyone that is suffering from family violence feel like we don't care, um, you know, we do. We want these to protect them too. Because if they do have to defend themselves, we want this system to be a place where if a victim is accused of a crime and having to fight it because of self-defense, We don't want them waiting three years for their case to be dismissed. That's more suffering they have to go through.
0: Oof. Well, this has been.
2: I know. So those final thoughts are kind of long.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and you know, and this is this is the kind of subject that needs to be long. You know, it's nuanced. And also, you guys have a lot of feelings, so like it was always going to be long. Right.
1: <laughs> I want to. want to say one more thing, Catherine. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Your final um, final thought. Yeah, my final final thought on this is that family violence is a significantly serious topic. It is a problem, and I recognize it a problem. Our firm recognizes it as a problem, and we're not suggesting we stop arresting people. We do not think that that should happen. We think everyone still needs to be arrested. But there has to be a, <laughs> but there has to be a better Sorry. way of evaluating cases um, and you know a- and getting to the truth quicker and more efficiently and with less damage. And if, if we have a situation where we could do away with bonds, we do away with a lot of these pretrial conditions, um, because people are accused at this point and not convicted of anything, and you know it doesn't show up on their record as a pending case. Because that's a significant problem. A lot of my clients can't get jobs right now because they have a pending case on their record, um, and that's how do you live then if you can't work, right? It's it's a problem, um, and so you know we need to we need to address if we can address all of those issues, then fine, right? But I don't think we're going to be able to address all those issues, so we need to come up with another way within the resources that we have right now, and the district attorney's office is capable of doing that, so they should be doing it.
0: Okay. Well, now that we've had our final, final thought, um, (laughs) you're good. Um, well, y'all have your grocery list. Go take care of it. We've, we've, we've given you our asks. If you could just go ahead and get that for us, please, we'd be appreciative. Um, well, and until you return with the shopping. This has been Plead the Sixth. Thank you so much for listening. um, And thank you for sticking with us through today's heavy, heavy topic. Um, Take care of yourselves. Be kind to yourselves. And look out for each other. Um, And... Also, look out for us on Facebook and Twitter at Krauss Daily Law, as well as our website KraussDailyLaw.com, where we'll be posting episodes and you can uh, post comments. Um, We're happy to answer any questions you guys have about this topic um, and uh, have discussions about what law and punishment could look like um, and we promise we won't give you an affirmative finding of anything uh, so join us next time where we are going to be talking about the burden of proof whatever the heck that is until then guys keep pleading the sixth.